Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. For today's episode, we've got a technology that I've been absolutely fascinated by. Um, uh, Very, very kindly, Dr. Sebastian Pullman from Skeleton Tech has agreed to come and talk to me about ultracapacitors. So I know we get lots of questions about ultracapacitors. To be honest, uh, I can't answer them because I don't know anything about ultracapacitors. And uh, it's it's brilliant that we've got Sebastian uh, on the line to, to talk to us in, in pretty deep details about ultracapacitors and everything they do and can be used for and uh, in, in the future on today's show. So without further ado, uh, welcome, Sebastian. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Wayne. Glad to be here. Um, so, Sebastian, could you just start by introducing yourself and uh, tell us a bit about where where you're from and, and how you came to be doing what you're doing now? Sure. So my name is Sebastian Pullman. I'm the VP of Innovation at Skeleton Technologies. Actually, quite recently got into that position. Um, for the last two and a half years, I have been the head of cell development at Skeleton Technologies. By education, I'm a chemist. I've done a PhD on ultracapacitors. Um, and generally electrochemical energy storage technologies. And in 2016, I joined Skeleton Technologies, um, which is an Estonian-German company, actually, um, with a production plant in in Germany. And um, yeah, since then, um, I've uh, worked for Skeleton Technologies 2018, became head of cell development, have led one of the largest research teams in ultracapacitors, actually, um, in that time. And uh, now I begin focusing more on the strategic part, on the innovation behind ultracapacitors, where to go in the next years, and um, how to kind of revolutionize energy storage, really. Wow. So, so that's a, a nice little segue into telling us about Skeleton. So, so some people will have heard of Skeleton, uh, but I guess... Quite a few people won't have heard of Skeleton because you're quite a new company. So could you just uh, give us a, a bit of background on Skeleton and, and, and what they do? Definitely, definitely. Skeleton today is a little bit over 10 years old, founded 2009. Um, today we have um, over 130 employees uh, in both Estonia and Germany um, and actually some other countries as well. Um, but the main bulk of the work was in Estonia and Germany. Uh, Skeleton was founded in Estonia, and um, the, the founding of the company is quite interesting because it came actually out of university. So um, there were three main scientists who are still today with the company as well, and um, they developed this material called curved graphene, and they were thinking about what to do with it, and they, in, in the end they settled for ultracapacitors. And with our two um, co-founders, then, Tavi Madiberg and Oliver Alberg, um, here in Estonia, they founded Skeleton Technologies. Um, in the beginning, there were really just a couple of people in the room, and they went on from there um, to 2013, founding the German um, Skeleton Technologies, 
um, subsidiary and um, then starting to set up a production of ultracapacitors. And uh, since 2018, we produce ultracapacitors in, in Germany. We do the whole value chain from um, the, the, really the carbon powder to electrode manufacturing, to cell manufacturing, finally also module and systems manufacturing all in one plant in Gorsowastorf, quite uh, close to the city of Dresden. So it's kind of on the, on the Polish border already. Um, and uh, what makes Skeleton special is really the, the focus on uh, new developments in older capacitors. So older capacitors um, are relatively young technology compared to lithium-ion batteries. Yeah. Um, especially from the industrial side. Um, so you can basically say that old capacitors are today where lithium-ion batteries were maybe in the, in the early 90s, early 2000s, so about to take off in, in terms of price reduction and energy content. And um, the curved graphene material that Skeleton has patented and that the whole company is, is also based on um, provides the capability of storing more than double the energy density in older capacitors which is a huge deal because autocapacitors uh, are, are not really energy dense. So, Sebastian, uh, can you tell us, does the current product still use the original curved graphene technology? So the original curved graphene technology that was developed by the University of Tartu um, is actually quite old. So they developed that um, for first proof of concept was in the 90s and they developed it further on in the 2000s and then Skeleton was founded. And of course, we have developed it further. So especially the synthesis um, has been improved. And um, we are currently using it in some applications in order to give our product that um, edge that it has and specifically the higher power density that we have is um, a big advantage here. So our, our current cell generation has a much, much higher power density than other autocapacitors on the market. Right. And um, you could you could actually say, why even uh, why is even power density important? Autocapacitors are already that powerful. But power density in autocapacitors equals efficiency, and efficiency equals heat loss. And um, the more efficient and more powerful your old capacitor is, the less you lose in heat and the less your whole system heats up. So in the end, we um, need to account less for cooling systems. We need to account less for, um, uh, for, for the energy lost. And uh, thus, the systems in the end can be actually much smaller. Wow. So there really is a lot of uh, an awful lot of advanced technology in these ultra capacitors. Yes, that is absolutely true. Yeah. And and we are quite a quite a young company, so we were actually able to use all the latest production technologies to um, use for our industrialization, for, for our path to having an industrial product, which is, is, is quite young in that sense. So our electrode line in Gosselostorf in Germany started producing electrode in 2017. And um, that is that is not that long ago compared to what else you will find on the market of older capacitors. Um, so we actually use uh, um, quite a novel technique for coding our electrode, and that leaves us with uh, around three to four times the power density as well in, in our current generation of cells. Yeah. All right. Fascinating. So, so um, I have a question as a bit of a Dumbo and non-chemist. Um, what is curved graphene? 
<laughs> yes. So uh, to, to any physicists listening, uh, curved graphene is an abomination first because uh, they would say graphene is never curved. Graphene is flat. <laughs> graphene is a 2D material. But um, curved graphene is a carbon material uh, which has a graphene uh, conductive structure. So you have the hexagonal rings that are conjoined, not al always with hexagonal rings, but sometimes uh, with, with uh, five-membered wings or four-membered wings. Um, and, and that makes the, the surface of the graphene curve. And you can um, kind of for the, for, um, the, the chemistry dumbos, it, it's, uh, you can imagine it like um, a sheet of paper, a plain mm -hmm. sheet of paper, but just crumbled up. And okay. um, that leaves you with the same surface area that the sheet of paper would have, but that surface area cannot, surface area cannot be blocked anymore because it's, it's crumbled, it's in the particle. Um, mm. And that makes it specifically interesting for ultracapacitors because ultracapacitors store energy on the surface area of the electrode, not on the bulk of the electrode. And that's why you generally use high surface area uh, materials in the electrode, such as activated carbon or curved graphene. And the beauty about curved graphene is really that you can make it relatively pure compared to activated carbon. So you really can go to the 99% carbon content in the material. Uh, which, which of course is good for the lifetime of the energy storage uh, device in the end. But um, also you can fine tune the exact pore size that you have in that material. And that also helps you to increase the energy density. Ah, okay. So some uh, interesting advantages with the, the, the curve graphene. And I mean, graph graphene is something that was, um, it's been, it's a very new material technology. I remember it doesn't it doesn't seem like that long ago where it was kind of major and uh, sort of uh, announcements about this sort of potential new wonder material. But in in a lot of cases, it hasn't it doesn't seem to have found uh, kind of key applications. Uh, but I guess th th this is a, a potentially really good application for it. It, it indeed is. And, and it's interesting because it's not the classic graphene manufacturing that you would use for this. So uh, we do not need to do any of the um, of the techniques that you normally have in graphene manufacturing that that either um, are very expensive or mm. just don't yield really graphene, but they yield some expanded graphite or something like this. Right. Uh, we don't have to deal with any of these processes. We have our own proprietary process that leaves us with a carbon powder which uh, has, if, if you just look at it from the outside, it doesn't look different from activated carbon powder or charcoal powder or anything. Um, it's just a black powder and we can use it in our electrode. But what is in the powder is really this uh, massively large surface area with a very distinct pore size, which um, helps us to increase the energy storage in the uh, water capacitor. Yeah, okay. And, and actually, so then a next question, which I'm sure is what you've answered a, a, a thousand times before, but just for listeners to the the podcast, what are ultra capacitors? Yes, uh, that, that, maybe we should have started with ultra. that. But... Yes, we probably should have started that way around. But, uh... <laughs> maybe we should have started with that. But um, I, I hope to those that, that, that uh, have not uh, switched to another podcast yet. So uh, here's the explanation. Um, Ultracapacitors are energy storage devices that um, generally have a much, much higher power density than lithium-ion batteries um, and a much uh, lower energy density. So whereas lithium-ion batteries, um, you 
use them to store energy for hours, sometimes even days. If you consider your smartphone, your laptop, you use um, you use it around 10, 12, 24 hours. Yeah. Um, and autocapacitors, um, on the other hand, they are used for seconds, maybe two minutes. But really, we are talking here for, for ranges uh, a couple of milliseconds to um, maybe 30, 60 seconds. And that is because ultracapacitors store the energy not on a bulk material like lithium-ion batteries do. So in lithium-ion batteries, in, in the electrodes, you have a bulk material and the lithium really goes into that material. So it has to really wander th from the edge of the particle to the inside of the particle of the, uh, that's in the electrode. Um, whereas in ultracapacitors, you just use the surface of the material. And you just have this layer of ions there that stores energy electrostatically. And that means that autocapacitors are much, much quicker in charging and discharging. That's where, where this property comes from. Uh, but it also means that they can be charged and discharged much more often without any degradation. So autocapacitors um, have one, in conclusion, around 100 times the power density of, of lithium ion batteries, yeah. but only around a tenth of the energy density, but at the same time, uh, you can charge and discharge them a million times without really degrading them in, in their properties. Right. And that's quite interesting because you have a lot of applications um, where you have this uh, constant cycling um, within, a, within the range of a couple of seconds. Yeah. And you accumulate a lot of cycles over over a couple of days, even only. And any lithium-ion battery you use in that application, um, if you don't heavily oversize it, it basically would die after a couple of days already. And how does an ultracapacitor vary? Uh, you know, if you compare it to, uh, for for example, a, a large um, DC link film capacitor. What's the difference mm -hmm. between a, a, that, that sort of conventional big capacitor and an ultra capacitor? So from, um, from a technical perspective, you would just say it's the capacitance that is the difference. Right. Because they're both, they're both behaving as capacitors, but ultra capacitors have vastly larger capacitances in the same volume. So where, uh, where you use autocapacitors, you normally uh, deal in ranges of a couple of hundred to a couple of thousand farad. So our largest cell, which is about the size of a pint, um, is um, it's actually a little bit smaller, um, <laughs> has, has 3,200 farad. Whereas if you, if you buy a film capacitor um, of the same size, then you are talking about... Um, some microfarads, and uh, that's the that's the main difference really there, because you increase the surface area. That surface area in the film capacitor is just the the, the, the flat surface of the electrode. In the ultra capacitor, you have this um, this this very three uh, D like material that that offers a lot of surface area, and uh, just to give you some imagination, you're talking about um, about around one thousand. Uh, 300 square meters on a teaspoon of material. Wow, oh, 1,300 square meters in a teaspoon of material. 
yes, that's the the dimensions we're talking Goodness. about, and that's where this 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 large capacitance just comes from because you have so much more surface area than on plain aluminum foil. Yeah, yeah. And is there a reason why you would not use ultra capacitor technology in in sort of applications where you would use conventional film capacitors? Is there a downside to um, to the ultra capacitor in that sense? Definitely, definitely. There are some applications, mainly the applications that film capacitors are used now in now today, um, where you actually need only this. Um, couple of millisecond behavior um it's, it's normally used for circuitry um or for filtering out uh, currents and um, there the cost of the device is very important and of course if you add an additional material into your into your capacitor mm. in this case it's it's carbon uh, then uh, you increase the cost and uh, that's why i wouldn't use ultra capacitors there Although in the last couple of years, we actually have seen that there are some applications where autocapacitors can replace these classic film capacitors as well. All right. I guess it, because they're sometimes quite large in big inverters and big power electronics modules, I guess you could maybe make a smaller device potentially using... Exactly, exactly. As soon as you have to, as soon as you focus on the capacitance of the device, then actually you can consider uh, switching to older capacitors. Right. Okay, fascinating. So so then on that topic, wh- where are ultra capacitors used today? And, 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 and I guess um, the follow-on question from that will be, where are they likely to be used in the future? So, so what sorts mm-hmm. of applications are you guys dealing with today for your ultra capacitors? So today... Um, the ultra capacitor market is much, much smaller than the lithium ion battery market. Lithium ion battery market, I think in 2017, it was already around um, 30 billion globally. Ultra capacitor market at the same time was around 400 million. So uh, that, that's just to, to set the stage. And um, uh, today, ultra capacitors, however, are used in um, any application where you want to store energy but you only have a couple of seconds to store it. And you normally store it not only once per day, but um, several times per minute even. And their ultracapacitors can really shine because you can size them only for the energy content in the, in the energy pulse that you're considering. Mm. Whereas lithium ion batteries in, in these cases often are sized only for the power. So you basically take lithium ion battery that is um, 5, 10, 20 times larger than you actually need it, depending yeah. on your on your power pulse. And you have to pay for that battery as well, and you have to put it somewhere in, in, a, in a space. And um, weight and volume matter a lot in, in mobile applications, obviously, uh, but sometimes even in stationary applications. And uh, to be concrete on some applications, then uh, today um, there are a lot of applications found in transport, so in buses, in um, in trams, we wow. have one large project with a Warsaw tram, um, and uh, there they are used for kinetic energy recuperation. Okay. So the bus or the tram or the train even breaks, you, and, and that is an immense energy pulse. So it, it only happens for five to ten seconds, but um, 
it's it's a lot of energy that, that is transferred in that time. And uh, you store that energy in the older capacitors. And when you start accelerating again, when you leave the station, you draw the energy from the older capacitors. And why that is done, um, you could ask, okay, why, why for trams? They are normally connected to the grid. But actually, um, in a lot of city grids, that's a problem. If you have two, three trams at a larger station, all accelerating at the same time, they can actually trip some breakers. And um, that is where older capacitors then come into play. They, they shave off that immense current peak. And they also save some some energy uh, by just uh, recuperating it. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and and you mentioned stationary applications. So what sort of things would that be? Yes. So stationary applications nowadays often are um, for grid applications. So uh, this is a market that is growing quite a lot at the moment with the introduction of more renewables to the grid. Because a lot of renewables um, have this um, impact on the grid that they have an impact on the frequency, and not a good one, <laughs> and um, or they have uh, these tiny power peaks. For example, a large solar farm, if just some cl clouds pass over it, um, you have drops in, in uh, voltage, and these drops can be just a couple of seconds long, but you still see them in the grid. So what you want to do is you want to filter those out. And that's where autocapacitors can actually play a large role. Um, other stationary applications are UPS applications. So something where you need um, a lot of power, where the onset of this uninterruptible power supply is coming in. Um, and you need a lot of power for five seconds until uh, your batteries, your generator, whatever, is, is actually able to, to cover the rest um, and that is exactly the, the, the same um, model as explained before. You have a huge current peak and you could just use your battery to cover it, but then you would have to overscale it massively. Yeah. And that's why you, don't, why you don't do it. And it hurts the battery as well. So uh, it's, it's known that large current pulses um, in batteries, they heat them up and heat is always uh, uh, quite bad for batteries. And um, and uh, another thing is industrial microgrids. So really um, very specific applications where we um, have several projects actually um, today um, where you just have one specific process in some um, industrial application that needs a lot of power for a couple of seconds. And it's a cyclic process that repeats itself and probably even gives that power back. So that, that basically means that you can either go for your, to your um, energy provider and tell them, I need that much power all the time yeah. and pay for that. Or you can install a couple of water capacitors that take care of that. So that might be something like starting a large machine in a, exactly. in a factory or, or that kind of thing, where there's a big... Exactly. Yeah, okay. Or large moving masses that move around and uh, have to be accelerated and stopped again. Mm. Mm. Okay. Fascinating. You, you mentioned batteries lots of times i guess batteries are sort of the competition but do do people also um have kind of hybrid systems where you'd have a battery and an ultra capacitor in use together is is, is that something you're seeing that, that's an excellent question because that is what we actually uh, are always saying and what our main message is that ultra capacitors and lithium-ion batteries are not really competing uh, 
because lithium-ion batteries, as I said before, they're extremely good at storing energy. And at the moment, they are our best technology to do that, storing energy for a couple of hours, for even 30 minutes, um, up to a couple of days. And um, older capacitors are not really good at that. Older capacitors are very good at storing energy for a couple of seconds, up to one minute. And... Um, that's why we don't really see old capacitors becoming large competitors of batteries. We do not aim to replace lithium-ion batteries, for example, in electric vehicles. That that just would not even be possible from, from the technology, from the energy density. Um, but where we see a large potential is um, hybrids of mm -hmm. lithium-ion batteries and older capacitors, where the older capacitor does what it does well, store power and cover the power peaks. And the lithium-ion battery actually can be designed to do what it's supposed to do, uh, to store energy. Yeah. And that is something that we see a lot, that um, it, it has been now so... Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's so much stuck to our minds of, of, of when, when you meet electrical engineers that, that um, design energy storage solutions, then they often just see, okay, I have this power peak, so I automatically design my battery to cover that power peak. Yeah. But we are basically saying, what, what if you don't have to do that? What if you just make your battery that as large as the energy requires, the energy requirement is, and you take in a couple of ultracapacitors to cover that power peak. And that can actually lead to much smaller systems, cheaper systems, but um, especially longer lifetime for the batteries because you don't have these constant high current peaks that uh, impact your battery lifetime. Right. And that in in particularly mobile applications, so things like electric vehicles, the the challenge typically there's a trade off between energy density and power density in uh, in the battery system. So if you want a very energy dense battery, it tends to not have great power characteristics because to to basically the way I, the simple way I always explain it is to get very uh, high energy density, you're making you need more surface area, so you're making very, very thin materials, and then you, you can't hit them with a lot of uh, a lot of current um, as they get hot, and you have all sorts of issues there. And even solid state mm -hmm. batteries, there's you know there's a big sort of challenge with solid state with getting good power rates in and out that that are practical to use in the real world. So the um, potentially then an ultra capacitor system could help to to overcome some of those trade offs in using um, using them in in conjunction with a, a very high energy density uh, system, if, if you were looking for a high energy density mobile battery. Exactly. And uh, the main point here really is that um, what, what we envision is that um, battery manufacturers start to realize that as well. And rather look at energy dense batteries uh, than at power dense batteries um, in order to um, really bring the energy density um, to the application and to have then you have much smaller systems that still cover the same power peaks as before and even have, have greater lifetime. So th there's a huge potential there to actually tune the chemistry and the cell construction of the lithium-ion battery towards the application in hybrid systems. But this is something um, to, to honest here it, it's very in, in the very beginning so we are talking to some battery manufacturers um, we are active in a lot of uh, grant projects and and uh, uh, business projects where um, we 
want to uh, build up these these hybrid topologies Mm. um but it's really in the beginnings but i think in in around uh, three to five years it's going to be a huge uh, thing on the market to have ultra capacitors together with lithium-ion batteries that then have been specifically designed to work with ultra capacitors yeah right and that one one of the i guess a, a sort of mobile system question there was quite a famous um ultra capacitor manufacturer called uh, maxwell I'm sure you you know very well, and, and they were acquired um, by Tesla, and um, you know th- there was lots of kind of speculation at the time in terms of the reason for for Tesla acqu- acquiring that business, and was it for manufacturing technology, or was it to use ultra capacitors in in some sort of system that they had, or what the kind of reasons were? But I, I just wondered if sort of from an, an insider point of view, if you had any thoughts on on that and um and you know i'm sure it's it's a something that you've you've uh, seen happen in the market yes uh, definitely so when, when that happened actually it was uh, quite an interesting scene because our founder and ceo tavi was uh, we have quite an open office and and suddenly yelled through the office uh uh, Tesla just bought Maxwell. <laughs> and, um, uh, we, of course, uh, checked this out as well in, in quite detail. Okay, why did they do it? And um, one obvious thing is it's in their backyard. So it's uh, it's, it's quite, the, the two companies are just quite local in that sense. Um, the other thing is that um, there has been this... Um, uh, that that's one theory that, that there's the electrode manufacturing technology that Maxwell has been using, which is called the dry electrode technology, um, which in ultra capacitor business somehow is a very old technology. It's, it's uh, 40, 50 years old. And um, there are companies really doing this process um, way before Maxwell had, had patented it. They were already using that process. Right. Um, and it's, it's interesting um, if you look at it um, from a superficial point of view, really, you, you look at that technology and you think, okay, that's a very good electrode technology because you don't need any solvent um, and you can get to very dense electrodes. So this means more material in your battery. This means more energy density. Um, but uh, when we actually evaluated different electrode technologies, then we um, specifically decided against that technology um, not because it's um, uh, it's very well protected by patents, but really because of uh, issues in um, repeatability and quality and so on. Um, so it, it's a rather outdated method, really, of, of making electrodes. So I, I personally think that it has not been because of the electrode technology necessarily, okay. but it rather has been... A, a multitude of factors so it has been um, for sure it, it was actually quite a cheap deal for tesla they yeah. paid for this in stocks and maxwell actually had quite some cash on their accounts so uh, that, that is it was overall quite a cheap deal if you look into the specifics and um, uh, they have running automotive projects so that is just something that that uh, is, is printing money and um, in the end uh, if if some IP is on the on the side lying there and you can grab that as well, why not? I, I think really the, the IP was not the main reason for them to do that um, acquisition, but rather the 
overall situation. Um, Alter capacitors as a growing market in energy storage, maybe some applications as well in electric vehicles. But um, the way we see it, there will be no um, Maxwell alter capacitors in bulk in Tesla cars anytime soon. Okay, that's interesting because uh, I think the, the general take from people not as familiar, obviously, with um, ultra capacitors as, as as you are, Sebastian, but the, there was a lot of people talking about the dry electrode and, and how that was sort of some kind of revolutionary technology that they had. Um, but yeah, I guess people often... It, you know, te- Tesla is uh, or likes to position itself as an energy uh, business mm-hmm. rather than just purely an automotive business. So there could be some other. Um... I, yeah, I think it was a move they had to kind of uh, make. It, it was uh, a promising battery um, electrode technology uh, that they could grab right in their backyard. And um, but but if you compare it to what other technology is around in energy dense in energy dense electrodes for lithium ion batteries, then uh, you can just check the uh, publicly available patents, publications, and so on by CATL, for example, which already have this achieved the same promised energy density of over 300 watt hours per per liter, um, uh, with the um, yeah established uh, wet coating techniques. Uh, so it's it's not even that much of a of a jump in energy density, and um, second of all, and that's also uh, information that you can uh, can just like check on uh, through Maxwell having been a publicly listed company. You could just check the, the um, public information there, and that information that technology was offered to a lot of other players on the market as well. Uh, Tesla was just the one that that got it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Oh, thank you. That was, uh, I know that was a bit of a deviation, um, but uh, I, I had to ask while, uh, while I, I had you here. So uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you, as well as the cells, so you're making uh, you're quite a vertical business. You're making the graphene um, the with your proprietary process that's used in some of the cells. Um, you make the cells themselves and then mo- modules and systems. So, I mean, I, I know from sort of battery terminology a module or a system but what could you describe to me from an ultra capacitor perspective what a module is and and what a system is and and how that is kind of different sure so um what we do in our plant in Gosworstorf after the cells have been produced we weld them into packs so that is just a string of ultra capacitors and um, then we attach all the management systems and um, the casing, and that is what we call a module. So a module is basically a, um, an autocapacitor pack with the necessary communications and management system um, for um, an end customer to, to be ready to use. And um, normally, customers prefer to buy a turnkey solution um, especially in the ultracapacitor business because it's a rather uh, lesser known technology. So people don't really know how, how do I build this, this cell or this bunch of cells that I bought into a system yeah. that, that solves my energy storage uh, problem. Um, so um, we rather sell these modules or complete systems. Um, these modules are basically designed to cover the main, um, the main energy storage problems that we have encountered with our customers. So um, there are uh, some, there's one 
specific engine start module, for example, which is a 12 volt or 24 volt module, which you can use in trucks and buses um, to start your diesel engine when your battery is completely depleted, which is a big problem in cold countries, apparently. Um, and Estonia being quite a cold country, uh, then, then Skeleton is <laughs> also aware of that problem. Yeah. Um, and uh, then there are more, there's one module family, for example, specifically designed for grid applications, which is the ScaleWec module. It's a 102 volt module, um, which can be just um, slid into a server rack and combined with other uh, modules of the same size and has also all the necessary management systems on board um, in order to build up the whole system. And these systems can really go up to 1,500 volt and uh, uh, really have uh, require quite a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, metal to conduct the currents that come out of these systems. Wow. And is there anything special needed, uh, you know, so, so with a, a lithium battery, you have to have a, quite a bit of electronics to, to monitor and measure the, the cells and what's happening and, and all the kind of safety systems. With an ultra capacitor system, is there much in the way of electronics needed to, to sort of manage that and, and make sure you don't overcharge them or, or, or that kind of thing to, to control what they're doing? It is needed indeed, but not because... Um, of the safety issues that you have with lithium-ion batteries. So in lithium-ion battery systems, you have these systems because otherwise you would have a fire or an explosion. Yeah. In ultra-capacitor systems, you have the management system so that the ultra-capacitor system lives as long as possible and it doesn't degrade. So you could basically, uh, and you, some of the modules that we have uh, don't have active management, for example. They, they um, don't have an active voltage management. Um, and uh, for, for larger systems, we have these active voltage management of the cells so that you do not, um, that you do not uh, overcharge certain cells or undercharge others, um, which would just result in um, less lifetime of the whole ultracapacitor string. And um, obviously then if, if one cell has degraded far enough, then uh, the whole system is, is basically on the level of that one cell. Yeah. Um, th that's why we also use these um, yeah, capacitor management systems in that sense. But other, unlike batteries, ultra capacitors have a lot of advantages in, when it comes to safety. So ultra capacitors, if you, if you do the classic uh, um, and famous nail penetration test on a charged ultra capacitor cell, um, nothing happens so you punch a nail through the charged cell you see a spark because you discharge it through the nail but uh, that's about it if you do that with a fully charged lithium-ion cell you have uh, a fire at best and uh, in the worst case an explosion right and and similar it, it goes for other things as well the ultra capacitors can be discharged to zero volt and be safely transported without any damage and that's very interesting for um, the whole logistics behind it like why everybody's building building lithium-ion plants everywhere to, to build lithium-ion batteries um, is because you cannot really transport them well because you have you cannot discharge them so you always have to keep them under voltage and that means you have to have the necessary safety systems around for that yeah right yeah yeah and some sometimes you see ultra capacitor systems with um so basically what is in effect a, a big dc dc converter sitting on the front end of them 
Mm-hmm. Um, what's what, what what's the reason for that? Uh, I guess it uh, really depends on the system and what it what is it um, intended for. Mm. So for some systems, I, I would even say for quite quite a, quite a big fraction of these systems, you. Um, want to use the DC-DC converter because the voltage of ultracapacitors, unlike those of batteries, um, is it drops over the discharge. So ultracapacitors do not have this voltage plateau that right. you see in lithium-ion batteries. But when you discharge an ultracapacitor um, to, for example, half its energy content, then you are at around um, uh, two-thirds of its voltage. So... Um, that it that means that if you want to have absolutely stable voltage in your application and if you need that then um you normally have a dc dc converter in there for some applications you don't need the dc dc converters for example if it's about um, very high current pulses then there's anyway a voltage drop and um, that that voltage drop is basically accepted by the application and autocapacitors actually reduce that voltage drop that you would otherwise have with a lithium-ion battery. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so we see that um, in, uh, in in a number of places. And there, 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 there's truck starting application. Actually, that's quite a big thing, I think, in the United States, isn't it? With um, ultracapacitors in conjunction with 12-volt lead-acid batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the lead-acid battery kind of... Um, works to to sort of regulate the you know it's quite hard to 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 do any damage to it and it just sort of sits there and uh, regulates the whole system out yeah the the lead acid battery is just the uh lead acid battery that you anyway have so Mm. um what we offer is is this product this esm uh, engine start module which uh, you can you can buy fairly cheaply and um install in um basically any normally equipped workshop um, to your truck and uh, then you basically are safe from um, these situations where your battery is drained because um, driver left uh, the the radio on or left the heating on overnight especially in colder regions and um, wants to start the engine the next day and uh, then the older capacitor comes in and uh, these these engine start modules actually we have shown that they could at minus 20 degree they cold started a large diesel engine of, of a large uh, truck um uh, that that actually hadn't been started for over a year and th- they did it at the first try wow. and uh, once they did that you, we didn't recharge the module but we just used it to, to start another truck and um, it, it worked as well. So the, the main point here really is uh, that um, you save yourself from that situation where you cannot start your diesel engine anymore. Yeah. Um, and it, the, the lead acid battery is really just the lead acid battery that you had anyway in your system. And it just makes the uh, dependency on that fairly old battery technology uh, less. Right. And is it um, with, with, with the ultra capacitor system are you always kind of are there problems with temperature <laughs> yeah. uh, that is a good question it's uh, far less problems than with lithium-ion batteries as okay. i just said like you minus can 20. use them yeah you can use them up to uh, down to minus 40 
Okay, and wow. um, they, they work nicely at minus 40 as well. Of course, you take a little bit of a hit on the power, but the power density is anyway so large that um, you, we could have started that diesel engine at minus 30 as well or at minus 40. It just doesn't get really that cold, Estonia. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, the, um, Probably got some other things to be doing at minus 40. Exactly. <laughs> and and, and the, the, the upper... Um, the, the upper limit of temperature is also higher than that of lithium-ion batteries. It's, it's 65 degrees, whereas lithium-ion batteries are, are very sensitive to, to anything that goes over 40, 45, basically, or below 10, even. Yeah. So, you, of course, you have your phone and you sometimes charge it when it's uh, cold or discharge it when it's cold, but um, even with modern phones, you sometimes notice if it's a very cold day outside and you have been walking around quite a lot, then uh, your, your battery will uh, already show that these signs of losing um, energy quite quite fast. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so then, in terms of your um, your new role in the business, you know, VP of Innovation, and you mentioned you're looking at this kind of future. Uh, future technology. What what sort of areas are you investigating? Yes, so um, we are definitely investigating um, what comes after our current generation. So that is our generation two, then, which has the the curved graphene fully incorporated in the cells at scale, and um, that uh, is of course something that we already now are doing uh, together with. Um, um, for example, automotive clients, um, but also future investors, um, where we um, just discuss, okay, how how should the final product absolutely look like? Because you can still play around with like the energy versus the power density a bit. Um, and uh, that, that is one thing that is already very, very much on the uh, product side. Um, and the other thing that we are working on is actually... Um, a technology that goes beyond classical ultracapacitor energy storage, where we want to increase the energy density up to 65 watt hours per kilogram, which actually is higher than that of LTO, like the lithium titanate uh, batteries that, that uh, are often used for high power applications, uh, while at the same time, it will um, not, um, uh, yeah, it, it will be, be still much, much more powerful than LTO. Um, and this is then really for future applications in automotive applications. That's that's one big thing. But also um, other more exotic things, or today considered more exotic things, like uh, robo taxis um, or completely automated logistics, uh, where you often have these service times of um, something has to run for maybe. Um, 30 minutes to one hour, and then you can recharge it, but you actually want to recharge it very quickly. You want to recharge it in half a minute, maybe a minute, um, in order to use it again. And you want to do that 24-7 because it's an, an automated system. It's, it's completely autonomous. And um, these are the things that we're currently looking into um, and that, that I'm heavily looking into in my uh, new position. Wow. And on that... Um... And actually, just just checking the time, we, we're about uh, about there from a time perspective. What is uh, what what's kind of got you excited about the future, and 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 what's your most what are you most looking forward to? So, what I'm most looking forward to in the far future is to see an ultra capacitor in um, in most battery systems, uh, in order to. 
take care of all these nasty power peaks. Um, in the next five years, I would say we will not be completely there, but that is definitely my, um, yeah, my, my, uh, uh, my outlook for the future is, is and what, what gets me really excited is to get this technology into the mainstream applications. And, um, the, the other thing that gets me definitely excited is the, um, application of our, uh, of, of the new technology, which, which promises very high energy density and kind of fills that gap that all the capacitors and batteries currently leave. Um, so it's, it's basically both, uh, points are about filling that gap of, um, between high power and high energy and really getting into these applications where you want to charge in five minutes and then use something for longer. That's great. So I think, um, You've really answered a lot of the questions that I certainly had, and, and I know some of the listeners to, to the podcast have had and, and asked me in the past about ultracapacitors and how they're used and, and the technology. And thank you so much for taking the time out to, uh, to, to speak to me today, Sebastian. You're welcome. Anytime. That, that was also very interesting for me. So that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much again to Sebastian for taking the time out to join us. And thank you to you for taking the time out to listen. I really hope you got some value from that. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast channel um, or hit like uh, and leave us a comment. Really love those comments. Keep them coming in. And questions, of course, you know, we can look at specific topics for you in the future. So that's, like I said, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, I really look forward to speaking to you again soon.